0: Welcome to Launch Codes, the podcast about marketing operations, artificial intelligence, and more. Each week, you'll hear from experts as they share insights, stories, and strategies. Welcome to Episode 12. I'm your host, Joe Peters. On today's episode, will the curtains close on OpenAI's latest drama, how mops can take center stage for campaign planning, a community question, hot on the trail. What's the best way to track a lead? We're introducing a new weekly segment called AI Navigators and Hot Takes, Marketing op Skills that Open Doors, Class in Session, Amazon announces a school for AI, and Unplug to Unwind, cutting the cord on negative news. Today I'm joined by Andy. Good morning, Andy.
1: Good morning, Joe.
0: What are you excited about talking about today?
1: I am really excited about this idea of a school around AI. I think that's really cool. Um, I'm definitely interested in what we're looking at with this open AI drama, if that's going to (laughs) be going away. Uh, And finally, I'm always interested in talking about balance and mental health. So that sort of unplug to unwind theme is one that I'm I'm keen to chat about as well.
0: Yeah, we we're trying to do a lot of that work here at RP as well. So that's something that really hits home. That's for sure. So let's move into their first topic on the drama continuing at OpenAI. Mercifully and thankfully, Sam Altman is returning to OpenAI as CEO, along with President Greg Brockman. The deal also includes some new board members. And so last week when we recorded things at 9 a.m. on Monday, November 20th, everything was up in the air. The whole team was quitting on Monday. Uh, sorry, Tuesday, November 21st and then by Wednesday we kind of came full circle and there's a return with a new board and there's a whole series of rumors around why this happened but Andy what's your take on the drama and how how do we sort of move on from here I guess
1: i think this just is a wonderful tableau of just how all over the place everyone is with AI, right? <laughs> is it down? Is it sideways? We don't know. We want these people. No, we don't. We're quitting. No, we're not. I, I I think the whole thing to me just perfectly illustrates actually in a nice little capsule how discombobulated we are around what to do with this, who should be doing it, and what the primary focus should be and who should be focusing on those things. I think it's just all over the place. And I think this is a perfect example that clearly articulates just how a disorganized the entire thought process around it is.
0: It's also, I, I, I'll agree with you on that. There's a lot for people to do individually and a lot for organizations to do. It is kind of, Oddly symptomatic, I, I I think is not an unfair term to or, or or a call to make on this. The board governance, I think, was the real shocker for me in understanding how the board was structured and how it wasn't really equipped to move from being kind of that nonprofit structure, open AI in its in you know original format kind of idea that this would be an open for all type of uh, structure so moving to this new model with a new board that's maybe has a little bit of technological maturity i think can only serve us well because what we don't want is flakiness by the leading technology in the space it's too important
1: correct yeah i agree
0: So hopefully we can just move on and that this is the end of a chapter or as some people like to say, the end of the first inning. (laughs) We have a long game ahead of us and hopefully we can just move on. All the other rumors on what are the reasonings behind it? What is the technology development that could have triggered something? Is there something massive in terms of a leap forward? in the capabilities of the AI who knows the Q star idea could be an amazing new development if this sort of unbridled learning and I'm going to say optimization kind of agent exists to be able to process and learn in real time the optimal way of solving a problem or achieving a task you take that to stock trading for example or derivative trading or any of those things a model like that unleashed could be super interesting but that in and of itself i don't think is really what happened here we had personality conflicts in a very oddly structured board that led to i'm going to say and i don't think i'm stretching to say this an amateur approach. Approach to letting go of a, of a CEO that, in a way that probably did wasn't yeah. that, wasn't justified from anything that we're seeing.
1: That makes sense to me. Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's also about where people with this level of intelligence feel valued. And if the value wasn't being recognized, it doesn't surprise me that he might have thought about stepping away as well.
0: Well, there's Sam Altman has a bright future no matter what he decides. Indeed, right. And whether that was going to be at Microsoft or OpenAI, right. I'm just happy that it's resolved and maybe we can close this chapter and move on. But it does it does seem to be resolved and. And hopefully we won't have to chat about this type of development and drama uh, anymore. Why don't we just switch gears and move to our next topic on five ways MOPS can elevate the annual planning process. And this came from Megan Mashuda at martech.org. And it was around the planning process for 2024 and how MOPS team could Take an opportunity to get noticed as game changers. And there was a couple of things here that I thought was really interesting in the article. One was the idea of building a planning template with business objective key actions and reporting measurements. Uh, another one was around streamlining information flow. And then a couple of other areas around translating data into strategy, annualizing, uh, pr- sorry, prioritizing the annual plan and establishing a process for adjustments throughout the year. This, to me, Andy, just seems to be good thinking, good planning, and good guidance for our colleagues and MOPs to kind of prepare and arm themselves to make a contribution not only to the planning process, but to set a course for themselves for the next year.
1: I agree. I think the thing that I like about it most is encouraging MOPs to lean into and prepare for the creation of this plan before it's asked of them at the 11th hour in a flurry of activity to produce it once marketing realizes that MOPs is holding the keys to the bulk of their performance and success data from the previous quarters and years. Right. So... In that proactivity, I think that this is wonderful. Number five is my favorite: the the establishing uh, process for adjustments. Our market has shifted so dramatically over the last several years, on even a monthly, if not quarterly, basis, and so we can talk about anticipated ROI. But if you're using the same playbook that you were using for Q4. Last year, assuming you're on in a fiscal-based annual model, right, against the standard calendar, yeah. it's not going to work. It's a completely different time. And so having that plan for how do we recalibrate, how do we think about, um, you know, modifying what we've set, not in stone, but sort of sort of prepared for that process and know that that is part of the plan?
0: I I couldn't agree more. I think we're sometimes our our colleagues have their our challenges is that we are marketing operations so we get enveloped in this world of execution and operations it's not there's no surprise there but thinking strategically about how mops can ladder up where you contribute to the OKRs and how you're adjusting throughout the year Is super important. And then the other area that I love is the idea of data to strategy. And as custodians of the data that is so important to leadership in terms of our marketing performance and execution data, this idea of laddering it up and thinking about it in a strategic way can only serve our MOPS colleagues better, Like that should be a real focus.
1: Yes. I think streamlining the flow of that information, talking about, okay, what are we going to be measuring against? What's the critical data for us to have? And then where are we sourcing it and how are we interpreting it? I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with a client and said, okay, what are your, if not OKRs and KPIs, and what's the data that you have to provide benchmarking for that. And we'll go in and look at the field or fields that they've indicated and they're they're not being consistently maintained. They're 90% blank. Uh, there's not a strategy around how to even ensure that that data is there for future you to be able to interpret it. And so that, I think, is the other half of this is if we're planning now, it also tells us what actions we need to be doing currently to ensure that the data is there later when we go to do the analysis.
0: 100%. So this is great advice from, from Megan and really something that everyone should be thinking about. We're getting close to the very end of the fiscal year, so there may or may not be a huge window to make the contribution to the next year's plan. Regardless, having this thinking and taking a little bit of time to go through these types of questions can only serve you well. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our question from the community and marketingops.com. Thanks for, for making this contribution this week. So our question is, does anyone actually use acquisition program in Marketo? If our biz uses lead source, would that be sufficient? So why don't we start there, Andy?
1: Yeah, so acquisition program is an interesting data point. It is set within the specific Marketo program where acquisition has occurred. Realistically, that may or may not always be the case. Sometimes it's the marketing acquisition, but you purchased the lead three years ago and it was blank, so you filled it in. I didn't understand acquisition program for the first year that I had Marketo. Back in 2012, I, it, it wasn't clear how to use it. There wasn't good instruction on what it was for, how it was used necessarily. It was in the documentation, but it was a little loosey-goosey. And so what I would say is if your business is using Lead Source and that is sufficient for you, you may or may not want to take the time to use it. Acquisition program is automatically set if you're using a Marketo landing page local to the program and someone fills out a form on that page. But if you're using a global form and then putting it on your website, or you're not using a landing page that is local to the program, you have to take the time to create a flow step to actually set the acquisition program inside of your uh, flow steps in your automation. And so what that's going to mean is that you're creating that additional data point. Now, the way that I like to think about acquisition program is is this is program specific, and it ladders up to potentially what you might think of as the tactic, uh, what Marketo calls your channels. And when you set the acquisition program, it sets a tag of acquired, which then also syncs over to the SFDC campaign if you're using Marketo paired with SFDC and connecting that data. And Mm -hmm. so when paired with lead source, it can actually be quite powerful. Lead source to me is what led to the acquisition program right so they came in via linkedin or via google search or what have you so that's going to tell you how people are getting to your content but the acquisition program is going to tell you what content is actually getting that form fill for the first time and i think there is good valuable data there if you choose to collect it and to use it i think really sufficient is a is such a a a, a unique case by case Term, right? Uh, What is sufficient for one business might not be sufficient for another, or it may be sufficient for now, but it won't be sufficient for future six months or 12 months in the future. You, or let's say you get promoted and your replacement, they may want or need that data. I always err on the side of create more data that you think will be useful. Don't create data just to create data, but create more data if you think it will be future state useful, create it now. And then if you don't use it, you can always deprecate it, erase it, get rid of it, whatever. But if you have it and you need it, it's a much better place to be than if you need it and you don't have it. Right.
0: Right. So this is this is kind of like a strategic housekeeping kind of decision where, you know, it doesn't really hurt. But could be a problem later on if you don't have it.
1: When I think it's about identifying unique data sets, right? What brought someone into the system as a lead source isn't the same as what brought someone into actually filling out a form and giving you their information for the first time. Uh, and so having those two separate data sets, if they're useful, and understanding that they are separate and why they're different from each other And differentiating them strategically, I think, is really the key here.
0: Yeah, yeah. More is better in this situation. So, All right, well, thanks, Andy, and thanks to our marketingops.com community for this question this week. Now, keeping consistent with the needs of the community is really the inspiration for this next segment, that we're going to be calling AI Navigators. We're going to do this each week. We'll be looking at a different element of AI to help our MOPS colleagues in thinking through some of the challenges and opportunities that AI is going to present. When I was at Mopsa Palooza, it seems like that was a m- month ago, but it was still, we're still in November when i was on an ai panel the paul wilson who was the who was leading the the panel discussion asked the crowd how many had ai guidelines how many of the participants in the room had ai guidelines and i'm pretty sure it was only the rp team members that put their hands up yes it, That was was it. In thinking about that, we know that most of our community is using AI or at least has, has tried it. I thought it might be helpful to share some of our thinking at RP so the community could use that to inform some of their thinking. Not providing things that are gated, just a link for people to download. We've created a template that people can use just internally to help. I'm going to either foster an, uh, an internal uh, conversation, uh, personal uh, exploration around this or internal to your team or group to start to think through some of these things. So the, the document is divided into three sections, one on kind of the philosophical AI use models uh, for organizations. And and maybe I should explain that a little bit. I think there are three different philosophies in organizations. One is an open use, free reign. Use AI however you want. And in, in some organizational con- constructs, that's... That's really helpful and you want as much creativity and learning as possible. Great. Uh, A middle of the road approach would be some moderate restrictions, which are, A, don't put up our data, don't put up our client data, kind of think about those things or several areas for restrictions before you do it. And then there's high control environments and, and some of our clients are in that space where every single use case needs to be approved and nothing can be done with AI unless it is approved. So organizations need to think, where do you fit in that continuum and then determine some guidelines and principles that can be shared internally so that everyone's on the same page. So this template document that we're going to be posting on our, website and in the show notes as well, It's just a, a place for people to come and take this information, food for thought, and be able to use that to fuel some conversations that are pretty important in organizations. Because in the absence of any kind of outline or guidelines or principles, individuals get to choose how they're going to use AI, which may not always be the right model for organizations. Any thoughts there, Andy?
1: I think that this is an important conversation and I think some people haven't even thought to have it yet, to be honest, which is interesting. They're they're so busy thinking about if they could, they haven't had the should we conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I reviewed this again. I, I know I'd seen it prior, but I I went through it um, a little bit more deeply just with a newer lens of not, you know, the spring and innovation and lots of new stuff coming forward. And I, I think the thing that was most interesting to me through my current lens is first around the data privacy and security and the risks inherent with what kind of data you put in particularly open source or open models first And just how risk adverse I've seen clients be when you're talking about data and data modeling and AI. Um, And then on the other side of that completely, the how do we balance AI and human element in there, I -hmm. think is a wonderful addition, right? How do we look at human decision making and augmenting a human with AI as opposed to replacing them or making that the focus, as opposed to the people doing the work with AI as an assist.
0: I think that human centered approach is really important. Yeah. And as well, because our MOPS colleagues are generally the more technically proficient team leaders in marketing, there's a chance for our our MOPS to play a real leadership role in this space. Because if this thinking isn't happening elsewhere, there's a chance for you to say, uh, well, put up your hand and say, we may need to be starting to think about this. And this is a a foundation that we can have a bit of a conversation about. There's, there's, There's nothing proprietary here or anything. This is just food for thought to help and enable you in making some of these uh, decisions which are which are really important for organizations.
1: Agreed. The one thing uh, I don't think that it necessarily dives in is as, as deeply as I would like that I think has also been a focal point for our own organization is around the socialization of what's happening. We talk a lot about training and, and preparedness. But I think there's also an aspect here around how the work that's being done is socialized, shared, built upon, becomes a foundation for someone else's work. I think that's another aspect of this where it needs to be not just an organizational approach, but also an organizational utilization.
0: Well, Annie, don't don't scoop our future segments here. There's... (laughs) There's, we, we need to keep it enough for, for our future weeks here. But week by week, we're going to start to talk about these things. And there are other really important parts around organizational culture, yeah. uh, AI literacy, AI councils, learning, and, and, and considering what all of the opportunity can mean for an organization. There's a, a lot here. But I think moving on from this is just a first part of the conversation. Yeah. Just a first, first, we want to give you bite-sized chunks every week. And this is week one in having that conversation as this, in this AI navigator segment. All right. We can't forget to thank our sponsors. So thanks to our friends at NAC for sponsoring today's episode. Knack is the no-code platform that allows you to build campaigns in minutes. Get to market 95% faster with Knack. Visit knack.com to learn more. That's K-N-A-K dot All right, let's move into our hot takes segment. And I love this first one on what are the mop skills for 2024. And Sarah McNamara shared this list of the best B2B mop skills based on job descriptions. And the list, Marketo HubSpot at the top, Tableau second, Excel three, followed by SQL, Salesforce, and Google Analytics. Where to start here? So what do you think, Andy, about this list?
1: I like it. I think that there's nothing on this list that surprises me per se. But I do think that SQL is almost synonymous with Tableau, and so those two—not that they're redundant by any means—but one is an extension of the other, uh, and so I think that the 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 two aren't sort of almost slashed is is interesting. I think also the fact that there's no mention of other code, uh, Python, AI—that
0: was that was that was what I thought was missing here yeah uh, and and that's a that's a skill that we've been really nurturing here at rp
1: exactly
0: but the other the other ones here um are really just the core of our business i would say
1: they are the other piece that i might anticipate anticipate be seeing added in 2024 is around CDP as a discipline and and data architecture. I think that's another piece that's really going to become a core MOPs skill that is a necessary part of the team.
0: Right. And there has been some really interesting conversations around, will MOPs subsume a data ops kind of function in organizations? And, If being the custodians of such important data, there is a real shift in that mindset and thinking that those skills are going to be super important moving forward as well.
1: Yes, I had a really interesting conversation at at Muspelooza with the CMO at OpenPrize, and we agreed that we felt like the trend was going to be to move away from being a database marketer to being a data marketer. And I think mm. that is the theme that I have front and center for me as I'm looking at trends and where we're going to be headed in the next year or two.
0: I love that. I hadn't heard that before, but I do love that.
1: I coined it, so you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we
0: we'll put a little TM uh, <laughs> in, the, in the corner of that post. All right, well, let's move on to another hot take topic here, and that is about Amazon launching an AI school. So the Wall Street Journal reports that Amazon is wanting to train 2 million people in AI as it fights for skilled workers. And so they're offering a free training in a program centered around 8 online courses. There's, there's a lot more details in here, but I think conceptually, this is a really interesting move by Amazon, not only to kind of democratize this learning, but also identify talent for them to recruit for their future AI workforce needs.
1: I agree. I think that this is one of those things that you need to have on your resume. And it's a fantastic item to add if you're still in school and you're looking to bulk up before you start to job hunt, I think this is one of those perfect items that's paired, or if you're returning to the workplace after having taken some time post 2020, 2021, I think this is going to be huge. I'm curious to see if the, what the 2 million uh, audience will be comprised of who will make up the the bulk of that, or if it will be very uh, differentiated and, and, multifaceted
0: interesting we may have had a little glitch in the space-time continuum there I lost you for a second so (laughs) just in case do you want to just recap your last thought
1: I was saying that I thought it would be interesting to see who the, what the two million person audience was comprised of. If this is students that are looking to bulk up their resumes, people that are returning to work after maybe having taken some time away, if it will skew uh, toward one particular uh, age group or population, or if it'll be fairly differentiated in who ultimately receives and completes the training that Amazon's going to provide.
0: Okay, that that makes that makes sense. It's very interesting. I think all the big players are democratizing the learning, which is super important. I think we're seeing that that everywhere now, and uh, there's a lot of opportunity to to learn. So you put your hand up and dive right in as as deep as you would like. All right, let's move to our third topic this week on doom scrolling. It's time to log off. This is a story from Wired.com and. We're seeing that people are ingest, ingesting too much negative news. And social media algorithms tend to elevate the most contentious content. So feeds are showing you things that will elicit, uh, elicit uh, a visceral or emotional response. And negative news can increase anxiety, depression, PTSD, And so a a professor from the University of Vermont told Wired that this idea is that stress is cumulative in this area. And one thing starts stressing you out and then another and another and another. And you're spiraling in sort of this scrolling fed loop of, of, I'm going to say, anxiety. Yeah. And so I think we're in a, we're in a situation where it's important for, for us to figure out ways to either stop the scroll or take the breaks or look for other, other ways to fill in the moment that might be a little bit more positive and healthier for us.
1: Yeah, I think the generalized level of anxiety that exists for a lot of people these days is reaching a fever pitch. It's not tenable. I was chatting with someone recently and we were talking about the difference today of being sent to Europe on a business trip versus a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, <laughs> if you were traveling from Chicago. You'd get on a train, you'd get to the steamer ship, then you're looking at at least a three week crossing By the time you get over there and get to your destination, you're going to do other things. You're probably going to set up other meetings, et cetera. And then you're going to head back. So we're talking about what at minimum for an important business meeting in Europe, a three month period of time. And your work supported you in taking that time because that's the time it took to get there. That was the pace of life. I don't think we've had a chance in the last 100 years to evolve from a nervous system from a uh, com- composition of the chemical aspects of our brain mm-hmm. to deal with the fact that today if I have to go to Europe, I'm working all day, I'm grabbing my bag, I'm going, I'm hopping on a red eye. there's Wi-Fi on the plane, so I'm gonna try to work while I'm on the plane because I need to use that time to be efficient. I might get a little sleep, then I land, I grab a cup of coffee, I like boost myself back up. I maybe get a couple hours of sleep. Then I you know, go out for a business dinner because I got to do that. I'd get up the next morning. I have my meeting. <laughs> then I run to the airport, hop on the plane, get back on the Wi-Fi, maybe get a few hours of sleep, and then I'm expected to be online the next day. And even saying that, the level of anxiety and tension that I can feel from that pace, I think perfectly exemplifies the fact that the pace at which we are expected to do life in general doesn't jive with the way that our nervous systems are wired, the way that we as humans have evolved to have a cadence and style of life. And then you add in the fact that you've got a computer in your back pocket all day. You go, you lay down, what do you do? You go on, you go to look at one thing, and next thing you know, you've spent an hour and a half, and all you've done is added additional layers onto that snowball of anxiety and
0: stress. Exactly, and I think... We have to find our own ways that make sense to us. I think we know. We know if you ask anyone, intellectually, we all know that this is a challenge, but what are we actually doing about it? That's, I think, the question that we need to challenge ourselves. And as we move into this New Year resolution phase, this might be a time to examine our use of different technologies and figure out a time to give ourselves a bit of a break. What's the mental health break we can take from this? And and I, I think maybe that's a good segue into what we want to do in one of our first episodes of the new year is really start to talk about wellness and MOPS and what that means. And, and it's not only wellness at work, but we can't just pretend that that there's just this magic severance between work and home life and technology and how it kind of connects to us in all of these spaces, we really start to we need to really take some time to think about ourselves and how we're taking care of ourselves and each other.
1: So Joe, do you doom scroll?
0: absolutely can but I have tips to stop like I know I know when I'm doing it so for example my guilty pleasures I've put only on my iPad and I've taken them off my phone and that is my control function I can't just do it whenever I want I actually have to go get that device spend the time and do it and I, and for me that's really helped me a lot i i still love to go on x and 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 because i love all the learning that i can do there yeah. and amongst all the other stuff that's that's on the platform but if i just have it on my phone all the time it can be my default that i go to whenever i have a few yeah. minutes and that's the un- yeah. that can be the unhealthy part
1: uh, my tactic, so I, I don't separate church and state in devices per se, but I have been known to, to get into it once I've laid down and I, I'll have to stop myself cause I can, you know, spend an hour and go, geez, that, that was time I should have been sleeping or, you know, mm-hmm. could have used more, more efficiently. I like to listen to audiobooks as I'm going to sleep, but, uh, my tactic is I, as I'm falling asleep with my audiobook, have started putting my phone in airplane mode, and then I will play solitaire uh, just to get my brain to shut down because I need something to shut it down. Mm-hmm. And sadly, that is my phone. I wish it wasn't a screen. They say that's not optimal to look at your screen right before you fall asleep. But the, uh, the solitaire sort of relaxes and shuts my brain down enough. But then if I do click over and sort of almost automatically go to Facebook, it's not live, right? I can't get into the scroll, the, the, the videos, the snippets, the reels, all the other stuff that will then have me going down rabbit holes. And so having that actual physical disconnection from the internet while still being on my devices is, is a way that I've found to mitigate that for myself. So that's been very useful.
0: You've kind of just Allowed, kind of like whatever is cached as your limit, which is, yeah. which is kind of that's a fun way of doing it. But I, I think this is we're gonna. This is a hot take, but I, I this week, but yeah. there is this is an important conversation, and I think thematically, I think there are things that we need to do better, not only as organizations, but to challenge ourselves as individuals to. Assist ourselves because there is some really unhealthy behavior that has oddly become normalized. Yes. And when you compare it to earlier eras, like I think of my what my parents were always yelling me about watching TV, the idiot box, yeah. right? That that's what they called it. Now, 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 well, what does this, what does it make? What is this? What's our phone, right? (laughs) I don't know. But anyway, let's move on. There's a lot, there's a lot for us to to cover here. And I think we can help each other out and start to strategize on having these moments of disconnection and, and, uh, and because it's in our best interest. I I really think it is. All right. Well, let's move into our pairings. This week, I thought we'd go to The Strokes. One, because The Strokes are one of my favorite bands in my top two or three. So I have a real soft spot for them. But I thought with everything that was going on, Room on Fire was a perfect album. And the tracks kind of feel like it could be used, uh, just the titles to tell the whole story uh, around AI recently. Between Love and Hate, Automatic Stop, Under Control, The End Has No End. These are just tracks off the album that we could put the whole Altman saga into that sequence there. But in the end, I couldn't help myself. The hook is too good in Reptilia. So that's the track we're going to share this week. But a great album, the Colored Vinyl is amazing on this one in terms of what Vinyl Me Please has done. You can see that in our in our show notes. But as always, we play a, a little bit longer segment of the song at the end of Launch Code. So at the end of this episode, if you want to hear Reptilia uh, in a, in a longer format. You're, you're, you'll have that opportunity there. But I couldn't help myself make this connection. And I had a lot of trouble picking the track. But I think this one is good for us this week. So what do you have on the reading side, Andy?
1: So I like to alternate fiction and nonfiction. So this is a uh, a fiction section for me. Uh, the book I am bringing is the first in the Bobiverse series, which is oh, what it's affectionately uh, come to be known as. But the first book is called We Are Legion, We Are Bob. And- <laughs> The We Are Bob is in parentheses, but We Are Legion is the first installment in a four book series by a, a sci-fi legend. I mean, just amazing work coming from Dennis E. Taylor. Uh, I absolutely love this book, but it postulates this future of, of a Von Neumann Probe, which is a self-replicating spaceship that can then be used for exploration. So it has 3D printers on board and you can build more ships as you find deposits of various minerals and other items in space, rather than having to build it all and launch it all from Earth, which is an interesting first piece. But what makes us really fun is this is a human consciousness that has been loaded into a computer. And that has been launched with the spaceship as its navigator and as its primary crew member, I guess I uh, so because of self self-replication, this man, former man, Bob, is also replicating himself. And so it gets into these fascinating areas above and beyond space exploration and sort of the challenges and realities of, finding, uh, you know, the materials needed to even make the spaceships with, if you could clone yourself, what work would you have that person do versus what would you pick for yourself? How is that person individuated from you? Are they you? Are they a separate person? And then as they replicate out from that first replica, how, what's the drift like? Would you even mm. like a version of you? Are there different things that come to the fore or more subdued in individuals? And how do you potentially work in a community of yourself in a whole <laughs> slew of varieties? And it's just such a fun, great exploration that also looks at human consciousness in a digital environment and what would be necessary to even maintain sanity in that type of of a scenario. So, fantastic series. The first book is really great. And I highly, highly recommend, as I always do, the Audible version. The narrator is just fantastic. He is Bob for me. So, I uh, cannot recommend that book and that series enough.
0: It's so interesting when we have fiction informing our reality today. Yes. And science fiction or theater or. TV series are are really helping us understand our future in yep. terms of our technological advancements. I find it fascinating. Well, this is super interesting. I'll have to add it to my Audible list. I have about 72 hours of a backlog of Audible <laughs> books to get through still. But
1: there are sales right now, Joe.
0: I know. I, I have I think I, I have like <laughs> I also have like 12 credits still left on Audible because I haven't gotten through, but there's so many podcasts, so many great things to listen to these days. But this this Baba verse is really interesting and I, I'm going to have favorites. to find some time on a long drive to to listen to Bob. But all right. Well, thanks for sharing that. So this is the end of this week's episode. Thanks to everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review. You can find us on Spotify, YouTube and Apple. Stay connected with us on LinkedIn or by joining our newsletter, also called Launch Codes, using the link in the description. And thanks, Mom, for watching. Have a great week, everyone.